0: Hi everyone i'm dr maz and you're listening to episode 8 of the balanced natural health podcast where we discuss east west and all the best in natural health today's podcast was prompted by a question from one of my lovely patients they had been getting questions from friends regarding the difference between acupuncture and dry needling and the chat that we had about that inspired today's episode. In my opinion, it's an interesting and a very important question to cover because despite the fact that both modalities use the same tools, they both use uh, filiform acupuncture needles, the required training, regulation, protection of the public and evidence-based research around the two greatly differs. So it's worth knowing the difference. So let's get into the details. First, let's briefly look at what is acupuncture and what is dry needling. Acupuncture is one of the key technologies employed by doctors of Chinese medicine to support the body in its path to health, so in its movement towards homeostasis or dynamic balance. Acupuncture has been used for at least 8,000 years. We have evidence of stone needles dating back to that time. Luckily, we now have very fine, sterile, single-use needles, which are so often painless. And they're so fine that one of my younger patients calls them fairy wands. And in fact, you could fit eight of them into the width of one millimeter. So they're really, really fine, very hair-like. Over the millennia that acupuncture has been used, it has developed a really rich toolbox of different approaches for different situations and different patients. We're all different, so treatment is going to be tailored to the individual for best results. So acupuncture can be used for a whole range of complaints from internal medicine in cases such as digestive or menstrual issues, for example, to mental and emotional cases like anxiety and stress, and anyone who has had an acu-nap on the treatment table can attest to how relaxing acupuncture is. So in addition to balancing the inner workings of the body, acupuncture has also been used for a whole range of musculoskeletal pain, injuries, trauma, fatigue, muscle soreness, and even postural adjustment by releasing tight bands of tissues that are pulling the bones away from their optimal position. Acupuncture has a myriad of approaches for treating pain and injuries, and a trained acupuncturist will choose the best approach for that particular patient. So while one of our approaches can be to go directly for the tight or painful area, finding the trigger points in the muscle and connecting with those, in many cases, this can be too painful or it can either even further aggravate the issue and may even be contraindicated in some cases. For example, in pregnancy, lower back pain and sacral pain are quite common, but needling and strong massage over that affected area is contraindicated during that time because there's a potential risk of induction of early labor. So luckily in acupuncture, we have a whole system of distal acupuncture, which is what I practice very often in clinic and distal acupuncture uses areas distant to or away from the pain to provide pain relief and therapeutic benefit. So for the pregnant lady with back pain, there are points on the hand, arm, leg, and even the head that I could safely choose to use without any need to go anywhere near her back. For the times that we do want to work locally as acupuncturists, we look for tight areas within the muscle that are tender to touch and which can refer to other locations nearby. These are called a shi points, which translates as, ah, yes, that's it, that's the spot. So the referral patterns will very often follow acupuncture pathways. And this is because Chinese medicine has, for millennia, understood the planes of fascia. And fascia is the connective tissue that covers and links not only organs and other tissues, but also all aspects of the musculoskeletal system. And in fact, the acupuncture channels or pathways or meridians, whatever term you want to translate those at, they align with the pathways of fascia in the body. Now, because fascia is semiconductive and responds to stimulation with a metal acupuncture needle, this can explain why needling at a distal site, so for example, why needling an ankle can relieve pain further up the acupuncture pathway, so at the lower back, for example. And it makes sense because the lower leg connects to the thigh, which connects to the glutes, and then to the muscles of the lower back. So we can actually send a signal along that pathway with the acupuncture needle without going directly into the lower back. So Chinese medicine hospitals are commonplace in China, Taiwan, and other parts of Asia. And in recent decades, acupuncture has been more widely accepted into the Western mainstream. And as I mentioned on an earlier episode, it has even been granted its own floor in the new branch of the Epworth Hospital in Melbourne, which is so exciting. With this acceptance has come an ever-growing body of research and biomedical understanding into how acupuncture works. At last look, which was yesterday, so early Jan, 2020, There were 143,000 papers available on acupuncture, with 84,000 of those in peer reviewed journals. So, as I discussed in episode one, acupuncture and Chinese medicine and Western biomedicine are talking about the same bodily processes, about the same biochemical processes. They're just using a different language. So, when Chinese medicine talks about encouraging flow with acupuncture or boosting reserves of one thing while reducing or draining an excess of something else. Biomedicine talks about the same thing, but just using the language of neurotransmitters, gasotransmitters, hormones and chemical markers. All of these are the body's biochemical messengers, and acupuncture has been shown to affect the free flow and relative levels of these, whether boosting or reducing. So basically supporting the body in moving towards that state of homeostasis or dynamic balance. Now over thousands of years, doctors of Chinese medicine have refined their knowledge and have linked various acupuncture points with differing effects throughout the body. And importantly, this has been confirmed in functional MRI scans where specific parts of the brain consistently light up in response to related acupuncture points. So, acupuncture offers so much more than just popping needles into sore areas or trigger points. So, how about dry needling? So, dry needling is a technique developed in the 1940s to treat muscular pain. And the term dry needling was coined to differentiate it from wet needling, which is where substances like cortisone or other injectables were injected into trigger points using hypodermic needles. So initially, thicker, hollow needles were used for dry needling, but dry needlers have now embraced the thinner, filiform acupuncture needles. So feeling for a tender point in the muscle, they will insert the needle into the ah sure, the ah yes that's it point, to elicit a twitch response. So from that we can see that dry needling is just, it's acupuncture, it's just one of the many tools in the toolbox. But unfortunately, it's not uncommon to see descriptions of dry needling touting the practice as evidence-based or biomedically based in comparison to acupuncture, but this doesn't match up to reality. As I mentioned earlier, acupuncture has been extensively studied and understood from a biomedical perspective, as well as a Chinese medicine one, with over 143,000 research papers on the topic. By comparison, dry-needling doesn't even hit 3,000 research papers and a little over 2,000 in peer-reviewed journals. So we can see that the argument that dry-needling is more evidence-based or science-based doesn't really hold up. So now that we know the difference, why should it matter? Well, the main issue is really around the difference in safety, regulation and the level of training required. My colleague Jeff at Evolve Natural Medicine wrote a great post on this, which I've included in my show notes. And in this he collates some stats on the different levels of training required for each modality. So a dry needler can get by with as little as 16 hours training, so just one weekend before starting to stick needles in people. By contrast, acupuncturists in Australia are required to complete a four-year Bachelor of Health Science degree, which includes 150 hours of anatomy and physiology and a further 100 hours of acupuncture point locations. And that's before we even get to the 200 hours of actual needling training, and then the 400 hours of supervised clinical practice. That's a lot of hours. And it should be because some of the areas in the body, such as the shoulder and upper torso, for example, can only be needled at a very specific depth because lungs and other vital organs lie so close to the surface there. So in the hundreds of hours of training that we do, we learn about the safe depths of needling at all body areas and in all body types. And it doesn't stop once we graduate. Every year, as acupuncturists, we are legally bound to further our skills in our profession with further training, keeping us sharp and up-to-date. Now, unlike dry needling, which is not regulated or held to any standard by government body, acupuncturists are regulated by APRA, which is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency. And this is a government agency that health professionals like nurses and other allied health practitioners who are required to maintain a certain standard of practice are registered with in the interests of public safety. For added safety the title of acupuncturist is a protected title meaning that only practitioners with the required degree and who meet with the yearly continuing professional development requirements are allowed to call themselves by the title. Anyone who is offering acupuncture but is not actually a registered acupuncturist or a registered Chinese medicine practitioner is acting illegally. So this is called holding out and it's punishable by significant fines. So safety and vastly more training is one reason to choose acupuncture. Other reasons are that we have so much more in our toolbox than just working with trigger points. This means that you'll get a holistic treatment and we can get to the root of the problem for better long-term outcomes and with less pain because we're not always going to be aggravating an already upset area. So we always have a choice and our health and wellness is in our hands. So it's important to be informed. So to make sure that you are seeing a registered and qualified acupuncturist, if you do choose to get needling therapy, you can look up your practitioner on the APRA website and I've included the link in the show notes. So you can just pop in your practitioner's name and make sure you choose Chinese Medicine Practitioner, which is the legal title that covers acupuncturist as the profession, and this will let you know if the person giving you acupuncture is legally qualified and sufficiently trained to do so. So I hope that's been helpful. I hope that's helped bust some myths. As always, I'd love to answer any questions you might have or bust any further myths you might have burning curiosity about. So please get in touch with me with those on Insta, Facebook or via my website. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please share it with others who might be interested if you feel inspired please leave a review or rating on itunes because that helps us share the love and reach more people and just a statement as always that chinese medicine is a personalized functional medicine that targets the treatment to each individual so therefore this podcast is for informational purposes only and does not replace your health practitioner's advice If you'd like more information about Chinese medicine or balanced natural health, please get in touch on balancedacupuncture.com.au or on Instagram at balancedacupuncture or Facebook at balancedbrisbane, one word. Thank you so much for listening and wishing you the very best of health.